Well, it is good to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this this weekend uh, to be here for quite some time, ever since uh, a phone call Brother Corey and I had several months ago where uh, I don't remember who called who at first, but we both called, we were both trying to get in touch with each other for the purpose of scheduling the other to come preach at their church. And uh, so in one conversation, we scheduled a revival, at, a weekend revival at my church and the Legacy Weekend here uh, with y'all, and, and uh, the Lord's been in it from, from the get-go. And uh, I do want to say, before anything else, thank you for letting us borrow your pastor for the weekend, two weekends ago. Um, it was a tremendous blessing for us as a church, but I would say even far more for, for me and my family. Uh, we had the opportunity to have him stay with us in our home, and uh, which led to multiple opportunities just to sit down and visit and catch up. And uh, it, it's neat to see how over these last two or three years since we've kind of reconnected, uh, since I've been there at, at, in DeRitter, the, the transition that has happened in our relationship because, you know, it was always, I still looked at Brother Corey as my, my youth pastor, and, you know, he was that that older minister that I looked to and, and, you know, a man that I respected, and I still do respect him tremendously. Uh, I believe at, at this point, after 23 years, congratulations, uh, you've realized the, the, the quality man of God that you have here uh, with you. But uh, it, it's neat to see how our relationship has, has changed from, uh, you know, my mentality of the kid and the youth pastor to ministers together uh, and, and a friendship that has has really just molded out of that, and uh, it's been good. We had a had a good time yesterday getting to do some fishing together and, and share some more stories back and forth, and uh, that's always encouraging as well. So uh, I, I want us to, to take a look this morning, and, and I'll let you turn to the passage, but I asked the guys in the back not to put the, uh, the title of the message up just yet because I want you to understand it before I hit you with it. Um, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 25, you go ahead and do that. And while you're turning, uh, I want to share a little story with you. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard some of these stories before knowing your pastor. Uh, but um, there's a, a couple of friends of mine that are very notorious in our, our area of the country. And uh, one morning, uh, Boudreaux got up and went to go get him a cup of coffee and happened to look out the window towards Thibodeau's property, and he saw Thibodeau standing out in the middle of his field and just standing there. He wasn't really doing anything, and Boudreaux thought to himself, man, what in the world is that man doing? I, I don't know what's going through his head. He's just standing out there in the field doing nothing. And he went on about his day. Well, he comes in at lunch, and he goes to, to get him some water and looks up, and there's Thibodeau standing in the same spot, has not moved, hasn't done a thing. He's just standing there. Said, man, done, Thibodeau done lost his mind. I don't know what's going on. That fool crazy. He goes on about his day. Well, that night he gets finished with supper and he goes to put his dishes at the sink and he looks and there's Thibodeau still standing in the same spot. So finally he goes, I got to go see what's going on. He gets out there and he walks up to him and says, man, Thibodeau, what you doing, Sha? He says, well, man, Boudreaux, he said, I, I'm trying to win the Nobel Prize. Boudreaux said, wait, man, how you think you're going to do that? He said, listen, Boudreaux, I, I saw it on the news last night that, that you know, if, if you want to win the Nobel Prize, here's what you got to do. you got to do outstanding in your field. <laughs> he, he didn't quite get it. Um, sorry, I, I know that didn't catch everywhere. Um, <laughs> I get the same response at our church. Uh, matter of fact, last week I had a one-year-old cry, um, and it was perfect timing. Uh, you know, 
everybody else was starting to giggle, she cried, and they left. I was in, hmm. And that was my youth pastor uh, and his daughter. Anyway, uh, even like he didn't get it. And, and look, I, I use these a lot, and sometimes I get to the end of the joke, and I look at my folks and I go, no relevance whatsoever to the message, let's go. Uh, and sometimes it does fit, and this one does, because, folks, I, I truly believe that even as, you know, in this joke, Thibodeau didn't quite understand what outstanding in your field really meant, I think sometimes we as Christians, we as church members, don't really understand what it means to be a church member. We, we don't understand what it means to be a Christian. We don't understand what is truly required of us by the standards and, and the, the commands that are given to us in God's Word. And so today, as we, we begin this time uh, together with our, our three meetings today and then the one tomorrow night, I want us to look at this. You know, when, when uh, Pastor Corey talked to me about coming and doing this Legacy Weekend, I, I, I immediately started to think, okay, how, how can I do something on Legacy? And I, I thought, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I went through about four different game plans on what I wanted to do. And um, uh, every time I would start making progress on building something, God would go, nope, that's not it, and Slide that aside and start on something else. And then he began to give me these things. Uh, and, and I will tell you before I, I, I get into it, this message today has the possibility of being slightly offensive uh, in, in the verbiage of it. But let me also tell you, this is a message that I had to preach to my people. Uh, we were starting a series of messages on how to live the Christian life. What are the biblical responsibilities of the Christian and this was the first message of it, and I told my folks the same thing I'm telling you. Just hang on. Bear with me. Don't throw your stones. Don't, don't walk out and don't, well, I don't live here, so you can't go pack up my stuff. Uh, but uh, don't, don't run your pastor off because of it. But, but here's the thing. If, if we're truly going to understand how to be a people of legacy, we, we first have to know how to live the legacy we want to leave behind. Because if we're not living it now, it won't be there for anybody else to follow. And if we're going to talk about this this weekend, then we have to start with, with this idea of, of understanding what we're supposed to do. And, and so the first thing I want to do, and I always get nervous when I get to this point, but it's okay, we'll, we'll make it through. <clears throat> you don't know me yet, so you don't know, you know, you, you're just having to follow biblical standard of you love me because the Bible says you're supposed to, uh, and I'm glad for that. But here's the thing, here's, here's what I want us to look at today. I, I want us to understand that we need to, get this, quit going to church. Ah, okay, just, just hold on, but before you go, okay, I'm going home. Uh, you know, just bear with me. Don't make plans for what you're going to do next hour just yet. Let's see this through, and, and hopefully you'll understand where, where I'm coming from with this. But first, let's take a look at the passage this morning. Uh, so if you would, stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. I will tell you that uh, uh, I use the, the Holman Bible. Uh, and so depending on what you have, yours might be a little bit different. But we'll have the verses up here on the screen for you if, if uh, you, you want to be able to follow along without getting caught up in the differences. <clears throat> uh, again, Exodus 25, starting with verse 1, going through verse 8. says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to make an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone whose heart stirs him to, to give. This is the offering you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, purple, uh, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and manatee skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices uh, for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, 
and onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you. And God, I want to thank you that this moment has come. God, I've been looking forward to this for, for such a time now, Lord, that, that it's, it's, it, it's overwhelming uh, with, with excitement for me to be here. And, and God, it's not just to get to catch up with a friend. It's not just to, to meet new believers. God, it's the opportunity to share your word with people who desire to hear it. So, Father, I pray that today as we, we dive into your word and as we look at this, Lord, I know this can be a confusing thought to, to quit going to church. But, God, you know my heart and you know the direction that you have given me with this. And so I pray that, that you would use me as your mouthpiece today. God, that your message would be heard loud and clear. Father, use this time to encourage us. Use this time to instruct us that each and every one of us can be the men and women of God that you desire for us to be. We pray and ask this in the wonderful and the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And you can be seated. I want us to look at this today because I really feel like too often when we think of church, we, we think of that word church, we in, in Christian society today, especially Christian America today, we have this mentality that we hear the word church, we automatically think of the building. You ask people, what is, what is the church? You say, well, that's the building we go to on Sundays for worship. It's the place that we go to hear preaching. It's the place that we go for this. And, and we think of a location when we talk about church. And, and there's a little bit of a problem with that because there's, that's not really what the church is. And when we look at what, what the New Testament says, what Jesus said about the church, the few times the church was mentioned in the Gospels, when it's mentioned in the, in the New Testament in the early church days, the term church did not mean a location, it didn't mean a building, it was simply talking about a people. And so I want us to kind of take a little journey through this, this idea, this concept of the church, and, and see the difference in, in, in the thought of a, a building and in the thought of a people. And so to do that, first we go back to the Old Testament where we just were looking at this, this beginning of the instructions of, of building the tabernacle or building the sanctuary uh, that God gave to Moses and to the, the, the Hebrew people. And I want us to first see the church as a place in reference to the tabernacle, in reference to this sanctuary we just read about. And, and with that, the, there was a purpose for this tabernacle. There was a purpose for this. And for them, as the, the Hebrews were on their exodus, God gave them uh, a, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to lead them. And, and ultimately, uh, he instructed them to create a tabernacle, a place. And I love the way it says it there at the very end of verse 8, so that I may dwell among them. And if you're familiar with the story, they would go from place to place, they would journey, and when they would finish journeying, they'd set up this tabernacle. And, and you know, listen, this was, this was not just some little tent. You know, it, it wasn't like, I don't know how many of y'all do, do sports, but I, I've got three kids. Uh, I'll show a picture to you in the next hour of, of my, my, my kids and brag on them a little bit, but I've got three kids that play soccer, and, and we do a lot of traveling with soccer, uh, and, and we get out sometimes in these, these tournaments in this time of year, and we pop up these little 12 by 12 tents so they can have some shade. Listen, we're not talking about a 12 by 12 tent. We're talking about a place big enough to fit, uh, you know, the nearly million people, if not more than a million people, that traveled in the Hebrew nation. 
that they can come in and worship together. There were separate areas, uh, an area where the women and children can go, and then a further place where the men can go, and even further place where the, the priest could go, and then there was you know, that one special place uh, that eventually would gain the term of the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence would dwell. As they would set it up, this pillar of cloud or fire, whatever time of day it was, when they got it set up and when that Holy of Holies was erected, that, that cloud would come and would sit on that place. And God's presence would dwell in it. And this was the, the point of the tabernacle. It, it was a place where, where God would come and God gave them guidelines on how they could come to him within that place, that they could come and worship him, that the priest would go in and offer sacrifices before him. And the purpose of those sacrifices, the reason for them, was for the forgiveness of their sins. Number one, in Hebrews 9.22, it tells us, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There had to be shedding of blood for there to be forgiveness of sins. And, and God required that blood would be shed so that sin could be forgiven, to, to atone for sin. So they would bring in an animal of some sort. And, and, and if you, again, if you've ever read the, the guidelines for that, there were different levels of things depending on uh, where you were in society. If you raised sheep, then you would bring in a sheep. If you raised bulls, you'd bring in a bull. And, and there were all these different standards for it. But the thing was, an animal would be brought in, it would be killed, it would be slaughtered in a very specific way. It wasn't just all willy-nilly, just go in and you know, kill the animal and throw it up there and go, oh, good enough. It was very meticulous how the priest was to handle it. And, and that sacrifice was given to, to pay the price for the sins. But here's the thing. Every individual, every family had to bring a sacrifice for their sin. And then once a year, there would be a sacrifice offered for the nation as a whole. There was a constant need for sacrifice. And this sacrifice was a future picture, uh, a picture rather of, uh, of the future sacrifice that Jesus would make for us. In Hebrews 9, 26, just a little bit further from where we read just now, it says, He has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of Himself. See, here's the, the big thing when it comes to the sacrifice of the animals. It had to be done repeated because it was temporary. It, it was a covering. It wasn't a removal. That when, when they would offer, even on the Day of Atonement, this one sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation, that when, when it was finished, it was a covering of sin. It was so that God would not look on their sin. Matter of fact, one of the last things that they did in that whole process of the sacrifice is to take some of the blood from the, the lamb that they would put on the altar. They'd take some of that blood and they would put it on a goat. And they'd carry that goat far out from the camp into the wilderness and run it off into the wilderness with the mindset that as that, lamb, or as that goat carried the blood of the lamb out away from the camp, so God would remove, would not look on, not associate with them their sin anymore. But it was not gone. It was not washed away. It was simply covered. But when Jesus came, I love that about that verse, he died so that we could have a removal of sin. So if we're talking about this tabernacle, this place of worship, this place where people came for forgiveness, yes, there was a physical tabernacle. Yeah, it, it was. It was a physical place. You can go in. There is meticulous details in God's word of how they were instructed to build it. 
I mean, from the measurements of how tall it would be to how long it was, what kind of fabric to use, what kind of wood to use for the poles, and even which tribe of the children of Israel would carry which pieces as they journeyed from place to place. Very meticulous details. Yes, there was a place. But here's the thing. This physical tabernacle was not a place to meet with other people. It was not a place to go and hang out. It was a place where the people of God came into the presence of God to request the forgiveness of God. That was its intent. That was the only reason that it was there. It was a place where they could come into the presence of God and worship Him and honor Him and bring Him their sacrifices. So what does that mean for us? Well, here's here's the thing. The building that is at 17722 Southwest 15th Avenue, it's not the church. It's the building. Folks, you you have a nice building here. And I believe that every Sunday when this building is open and the lights are turned on and the doors are, are unlocked, that people come in and the church meets here. But folks, listen. Heaven forbid it ever happened, but if this building were to burn down and and all these buildings that you use for for Sunday school and Bible studies and and worship and all the ministries that go on, if every building on this property burned down, the church would still exist. Because this is but a building. This building does not have life. It does not bring life. It's the people who gather here, worship here, minister here that brings life to this community. That's, the, that's the, 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 the whole point of this. And listen, that's why I'm saying we need to quit going to church. I'm not saying don't ever come back. I, I think the Bible teaches us the exact, the exact opposite, that we're not to forsake the assembling together of the brethren. We should come together. I believe that every Christian, every Sunday, should be in Sunday school, in worship, in, in every opportunity they have to gather together with their church family, whether it be Bible study, discipleship, mission trips, any opportunity you have to honor the Lord and to serve the Lord, I think we should take it because if we don't, I believe personally, and I believe it is in Scripture, that it is a sin towards God. Because say, God, my time is more important than your time, so I'm going to go do what I want to do rather than what you want me to do. I would never tell anyone you need to quit going to church. What I'm saying is we need to quit the mentality of I'm going to church today. If you have to have that mindset of some sort to say I'm going, then you say I'm going to go meet with the church today. I'm going to go have church today. I like that statement. I I like when we show up and we have church. The first time I heard that, I'm like, of course we had church. We're here. Then I was in a worship service one day where we had some church. I was like, (laughs) I got it now. Okay, yeah, we're going to have church today. So if this is not the church, if this building, as nice as it is, as comfortable as it is, you know, nice and cool in the summer, nice and warm in the winter. I don't know if y'all have winter here. Uh, I don't don't think I've ever been to Florida in, in the wintertime. I always come in the summer. Uh, it's, it's more fun in the summer, you know. <clears throat> if this isn't the church, then what is? For that, we, we, we go towards the New Testament to understand this idea of the, the, the church. And, and what I want us to understand is the church is a people. It's, it's not a place. It's a people. We, according to Scripture, we are the temple of God. We are the sanctuary of God. 
Not just collectively, individually. Did you know that you are the temple of God? Each and every one, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone and have asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life, you are the temple of God. You are a sanctuary of God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your Bible is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. See, that's one of the verses that tells me when, when we decide that our time is more important than God's time, it's sin because you are not your own. The day that you got saved, the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the day that his blood paid the price for your sins, you lost all right and ownership of your life. We sing the song so often, you know, victory in Jesus. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We have God's presence in us. We no longer need a building. We no longer need the Holy of Holies. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons that when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. I love that about it. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, that the the Bible actually says it tore from the top to the bottom. I, I believe one of the reasons that happened is God wanted to make sure nobody thought, oh, well, Jesus' disciples went in and they just grabbed it and they tore it, which would have been ridiculous considering it was inches thick. You know, I've seen the power team before and they take the big phone books and they rip it. Ain't nobody ripping the veil that was on the Holy of Holies. No man was going to do it. But even more than that, when a 30-foot tall fabric that was inches thick was torn from the top down, God himself reached from heaven, grabbed it, and says, no longer needed. There's no longer a barrier. If you come through my son, you have direct access to me. And folks, that is an awesome thing. That's a powerful thing to understand that I don't have to go to a man to say, can you connect me with God? I don't have to go to a place to say, can you connect me with God? All I have to do is say, God, I need you. And I'm connected with him. Because he's here with me. And listen, I'm not saying, hey, look up here because I'm better than you. No, this is for all of us. All of us who have been saved, we have the Holy Spirit of God within us. He's been given to us as a guarantee of our salvation. We don't have to wonder if we're saved. We don't have to hope that we're saved. We can know that we're saved. Matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 5, it tells us that John says as he's finishing this letter, which by the way, if you've never read or studied 1 John, man, you need to. It's basically God's love letter to us as believers. Him saying, I love you. I loved you first. I loved you so much. I sent my son to die for you. It lays out everything that we need to understand about salvation. And at the end, John says, I have written these things to you who believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have salvation. We can know because the Holy Spirit is in us and gives us the guarantee. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him when you believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. He is the down payment for the, of the inheritance. What is our inheritance? Heaven. How's the Holy Spirit down payment? Because we get a little bit of God with us here now. To remind us that one day we'll be in his presence forever. It's a down payment. It's an assurance. It is the seal. I love that part of it. He, he's been given to us as the seal with the, of, of a promise. You know what a seal is? 
you know, years ago before there was email, before there was snail mail, I mean, uh, you know, postal service, um, they, they would write letters. Now, I can remember writing letters before we typed them out, but this was different. They'd take a piece of paper and they'd write out the message, especially someone who had authority, a king, uh, a governor, anyone like that. They'd write out their letter, and instead of putting it in, in an envelope and putting a stamp on it and all that kind of stuff, they would simply either roll it up or fold it, put a, a, a bit of hot wax uh, where the two pages met up, and then he had some kind of stamp, some kind of metal object or wooden object that had a, a signet on it, some emblem or, or initials, and they'd press it into that hot wax, and then they would let it cool, and once it cooled, it would seal that, that letter. And what that meant when that letter would be delivered to someone, because no one of importance delivered their own letters. I mean, that, that was beneath them. They had people who would deliver letters. Uh, letters for them remember don't kill the messenger the messenger brought the message hand it to them and that that statement is there because it was very common if it was a letter they didn't like they'd kill the one who carried it and it was a symbol to whoever sent it that we didn't like your message (laughs) i don't want to be the messenger walk in the door here you go and take off running but they bring it to him and when they saw that seal they knew instantly this came from the king this came from the governor This is his authority. His power is here. Folks, listen. The Holy Spirit of God is the the seal, the stamp of God on us that we are his. It is God's power. It is God's authority. It is God's right. And that's who we have in us. We are the temple, the sanctuary. We are his dwelling place. This is not the church. We are the church. Now, I I say that, and you might say, well, you're not a member of our church. I'm not a member of Jonesville. I'm a member of Westview. But we together are the church. I I might not be part of the the body of of Christ that meets here, but we're all the church together. There there is no, and and I love this. I don't know if any of you read the book or watched the movie The Insanity of God, but there was a statement that was made at one point where, where the, um, the missionary said he was talking with one of the, the, the mission pastors who was in prison, and uh, he went to say something about the American church. And he goes, well, stop right there. He says, you need to understand, there's, there, there's no persecuted church and free church. There, there, there's no Russian church and American church. There is but the church. We are the church, his dwelling place. First Timothy 3.15. Paul's writing to the young pastor Timothy, and he says, I've written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God. He said, oh, wait, hold on. He said, people are supposed to act in God's household, which is the church. Now, the, the statement, which is the church, is talking back to the people, not the household. The instructions that were given was how the church was supposed to respond within the people, not the household as in within the building, but within the household of God, the children of God. If we are the children of God, what he's saying is, I'm telling you how the children of God are to act because they're the church of the living God. There's instructions for us on how we should live, how we should act. And according to Scripture, we are being built up for Him and by Him. We, we get these illustrations in Scripture of how the church is a building and, and we're, we're being built up on a foundation. But it's not so that we would build a building, it's so that we would understand it's more than just us. We look back to the generations before us to see the foundations that were laid. But folks, listen, 
We better make sure that every layer that's been laid that we're standing on right now is first on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, it says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. All the pieces, all the layers, with Jesus as the ultimate foundation, we're being built up into the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. Every generation of believer that has come and gone, every generation that is yet to come, we are all part of the same great church, the body of Christ, the sanctuary that he is building to impact and influence this world. You are a sanctuary. Collectively, we are a sanctuary. I said, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we can't just wrap our mind around. How is God three in one? Explain it. And before you do, well, the egg, I, I've heard the egg one, doesn't quite work. Well, water, eh, still close, that's the closest one I've seen. Take ice, put it in a hot skillet, there's a split moment where you have ice as a solid, ice as a liquid, ice as a vapor. God, problem is you leave it there long enough, all you're going to have left is vapor. God's not going to wear out. <laughs> Jesus is not going to wear out and all we're left with is the Holy Spirit, Okay. Three in one, eternally have been, eternally will be. We, we can't wrap our mind around all these things. I, I can't explain to you why, why God tells us that we are the sanctuary individually and we are the sanctuary corporately, but I can tell you that we are. And, and here's where I think it goes to. The, the scriptures that remind us, the teachings that Jesus gave that where two or three are gathered together in his name, I'm there in the midst of you. You think, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. That's, that's why we always talk about we got to get people together when, when we want to worship. And we say God's presence is here when we're worshiping him. But at the same time, listen, when you get on your knees before God in your home by yourself, God's presence is there because you have the Holy Spirit in you. So is that a contradiction? No, it's not. What, what Jesus was saying is when you come and you're burdened for God and in obedience to him, want to cry out to him with the Holy Spirit in you. And this person comes, and this person comes, and the more you get together, the Spirit of God that is in us, and it says this in Scripture, will testify with your spirit. The Spirit of God in me will testify with your spirit that we are saved. And when we testify together of it, we are encouraged, we are influenced, and, and, and we are driven by the Spirit and the power of God in that moment. That's why we come together. That's why we meet. Now, before we, we say, well, if this building's not the church, if we are the church, then what's the big deal about the building? Why do we have so many rules about the building? Listen, we do need to respect the building and remember at the same time the dwelling. But not just this building. See, I, I, I've grown up in church all my life, but Corey was just telling you, you know, when my dad first went down to Golden Meadow, he was the youth pastor. Uh, I was four years old. Before that, my dad was a youth pastor in a few other churches, all the way back to his college years. So long before I was born, my family was active in church. Uh, I, I'm not building them up. I'm not bragging on my dad. I'm just saying we've been there. You know, I was one of those kids. I was, I was in church, you know, eight months before I was born. 
Now, I only say eight months because I showed up a month early. I was eager to get started on life. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think my mom was a little bit glad for that. You know, one less month of all that mess. But uh, I've been in church all of my life, and I've always heard the rules. You know, no running in church, no talking in church, no, you know, all these things. And, and you go to some churches, and they, as you walk in the door, there's a list of things that you can't do when you go in. And you walk into them, and you, you think for a moment when you get into some of their, their services, you want to go back and go, okay, where's, where's you shall not worship in the building? You know, where, where's you shall not enjoy yourself in the building? Um, we, we, we put so many rules and regulations on the building, but very rarely do we put rules and regulations on how we treat the church, God's sanctuary. Far too often we're more concerned about how we take care of the building than how we actually take care of the temple of God. We, we need to cleanse God's sanctuary far more than we need to clean our building. See, I, I think personally, if every Christian was, was as concerned about cleansing the temple of the Holy Spirit of God as they were making sure that the building where the church met was clean, this world would be a different place. Churches would be different for sure. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know? You say, well, hold on. We, 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 we talked about this already. Different passage, same message. Do you not know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone ruins God's sanctuary, God will ruin him. For God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. Now, if you don't mind, brother, leave that verse up there for just a minute for me. I can remember people throwing a fit when somebody did something at church. A mess was made. Oh, you better not. Did you leave, and they fill in the blank, in the church? I, can't, I showed up one Sunday at, at a, a church that I was in, and, and there was stuff. Couldn't tell what it was. Black stuff all down the center aisle of the church. And I mean, it started at the door, and it walked in, and it went all the way to the back. And I mean, it was just like somebody walked in with, with black burnt breadcrumbs and just all the way down. I mean, it made a trail. You should have heard some of the people. Who made this mess in God's house and left it here? About five minutes later, a fella come walking in and physical conditions make it to where he can't actually step, so his feet shuffle. And as he walked, it left a trail. His shoes were rotten on the bottom, falling apart. And, and so very quickly, I got some people together, and we got it all cleaned up before anybody else had a fit. And uh, one of our church members helped that individual go get some new shoes that week. And I thought to myself in that moment, is, is it really that big a deal? I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm not saying don't worry about it. Just saying, is it, is it that big a deal? See, the problem is, somebody spills coffee on the carpet right here, there's going to be a number of people who are going to complain. Well, we don't need to let anybody have any drinks in the sanctuary. That, that's, just a, that's just a mess. <laughs> but what do we tell people that, that we believe are Christians who are members of this church, members of our churches, when we know that they're living in sin? Do we have as much concern about that temple to go to them and say, Brother, listen, not telling you what to do, 
but you know the life you're supposed to live. You know, that's what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do. Go to them in love. Not walk up to them, hey, idiot, wake up. That, that's not going to be any good. You'll probably get hit. You'll run somebody off. But if we go to them in love and say, listen, I, I, I care too much about you to let you keep going down this road. Well, what about for ourselves? We'll, we'll come and we'll see every little fault in the, the building. This isn't clean. That's not clean. Somebody left this. Oh, they didn't turn the lights on. Oh, the air's too cold. The air's too hot. You know, all these different things. And yet we ignore the things in our own life that keep us from being the clean temple that God not only desires, but deserves. We are the sanctuary God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. Folks, it's time that we get past this thought of going to meet God, and we understand that he is with us. There's an old song that, that we used to sing. I, I'm sure at some point y'all, y'all sang it here. Uh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. There's a lot of truth in that song. But here's the thing, that's one of those songs that I fear far too often we sang because it was the song that was being led rather than it being the true desire of our heart. Think about the words, Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary for you. Is that your heart's cry to God? Is that your prayer every day? I, I, I want us to end with this this morning as we're getting ready to, to close this time together. I want us to end with this song. So I, I want to ask you to stand with But here's the thing. Uh, we're going to sing this together, but I don't want you to sing it if you don't mean it. I don't want this to just be a song that we sing. I want this to be your prayer to God today. Rather than a traditional prayer of, dear Lord, such and such, such and such, in Jesus' name, amen, we're going to sing this song as our prayer to him. God, I, I want to be your sanctuary. My life is not my own, it's yours. I've been bought with a price. And today I humble myself before you and say, cleanse me, purify me, make me your sanctuary. Stand with me if you will. If you feel that you can sing that to him today, that that can be your prayer today, you sing it with me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I want you to say this for me. I am a sanctuary of God. I am a sanctuary of God. Again, I am a sanctuary of God. One more time. I am a sanctuary of God. Amen.